Yorkie in the pistol. Now Collins stands next to him in the shotgun. Yorkie asks for it and now has it. Yorkie will throw across the middle. Got it complete. Cody Rice behind the Wolverines. He dives. Touchdown, Michigan State. He split the defenders and the Spartans strike first in Ann Arbor. This is Spartan Red Zone, your source for the best MSU and college football analysis, picks, banter, and anything else going on in the college football world. Here's your host, Ryan Collins. I think everyone's excited to talk this week. Ryan Collins, Nathan Cerns, Eric Bob, and special guest this week, Jared Ramsey. Spartan Red Zone, episode five, I believe, of this year, season eight. How are we doing today, fellas? Oh, just living the dream. Can't wait until Saturday. Can't wait. He'll say, gonna give you a lot of discussion material. A lot of discussion material we got to go over. Not so good. Not so good. Technology is taking a turn for the worst against it. Like ignoring the football game. Technology has taken a turn for the worst against me. Shout out Michigan State University for having their Wi-Fi, their internet go out during virtual school. That's a really great time for all that to happen. Morons. Jared, I'm gonna watch the game this Saturday. I was uh, at home covering the game for Impact, and unfortunately, I had to watch the whole game. Um, <laughs> and I think I've been ever since Saturday. I've been feeling under the weather. Today's the first day I actually uh, feel good to go or anything. So I think yeah. I think Michigan State's performance on Saturday was part of the reason why I was so sick all week. But it's like hopefully, se- it's like seasonal depression. It's like Michigan yeah. State. Like I, I said this on a Dream White report. The Lions, like, on the Motown Rundown, excuse me, the Lions win was not as satisfying because Michigan State just completely laid a dot against Rutgers. But we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But, I mean, I, I, we got to start off. It's rivalry week. That's the most important thing on the docket this week. I don't know if it's going to be a fun rivalry week if you're a Michigan State fan, though. I... I don't think odds makers do either. Last time I checked, it was a 24 and a half point line that Michigan was laying, which speaks to the level of utter ineptitude that Michigan displayed with a passion on Saturday, as well as the fact that despite Minnesota's entire team being ripped apart by COVID, Michigan looked good. I'm a big enough man to admit when I screw up, okay? And I thought that Michigan was going to go in there and lay a dud. I had Minnesota winning by double digits. I had P.J. Fleck taking Harbaugh's lunch money, and I screwed that up. They looked much better. Joe Milton looked much more composed in the pocket, and that offensive line with completely new starters other than Jalen Mayfield at right tackle, they met, they gelled together so much better than I thought. Okay, I can admit, they, Jim Harbaugh, my hat's off to you. They looked a lot better than I thought they could. They were really polished, and, and we'll talk a lot about Michigan later when we preview the – game that's coming this Saturday but I mean around the big time we're not going to take that longer time like we usually do because we got more concerning things to talk about like Michigan State Rutgers Michigan State Michigan but I mean Penn State Indiana I mean if you're a Penn State fan that's a great way to start the year (laughs) well they're just there's James Franklin we've said this multiple times on this show is a great recruiter is a great like culture coach but cannot for the life of him manage a game. And Mark D'Antonio in 2017 and 2018 took one games against James Franklin with significantly worse rosters and significantly worse players at basically every important position. And Mark D'Antonio won both times because James Franklin 
simply cannot manage a game and was out coached in the game by Mark Antonio. I mean, that is, that's the, and that's just one example. Penn State has blown other games. They've blown games against Ohio State because of coaching errors. Yeah. I mean, Penn State outgained Indiana almost two to one in that game and lost. And they were down like two touchdowns with like a a quarter to go. It was, it was a weird game. Like, really weird field position because Penn State, like you said, was completely dominating the game. But they, I mean, Indiana always seemed to somehow get the football in pretty good territory. And Michael Penitz played good, made a really big play there down to stretch. Good for Indiana. That Tom Allen video, I love that. I love Tom Allen. I don't know why I like Tom Allen, but I like the guy. Can we talk about that kickoff with less than a minute <laughs> left? That was the most mind-boggling other example of idiocy I have ever seen in my life. You talk about situational awareness. It's like you're squidding it, and they get the ball at the 45 yard line. I'll never understand what the squid pitch. Doing? I no. I mean, I get it. If you have three seconds left and you're doing it just to make sure that you don't have your returner running it back, and you have some 250 pound defensive end trying to bring it up. But for the life of me, I can't understand what went through their mind. That was utterly ugh. you see it all the time though like at the end of halves when say there's like seen the nfl actually a lot there's like 15 seconds left and they like swim it for some reason and they get the ball at the 35 and then one play they're in field goal range like I, mean, I, I i'll never understand it the squib I, I mean not a fan whatever minnesota was doing that too all game against michigan they were kicking it high and short because they were worried about the kickoff return and it just it, it gave michigan, yeah it gave michigan great field position every time i was just baffled yeah, uh, I they did they return a kick? I, I did I see it or did they return one to like the two or something? Michigan that was had the, great field position. In that, that was game. a pick. Was that, that a pick? Yeah, they had a pick six and a pick return the two. They might have had a really good kickoff too. Honestly, I don't know. I could I could be wrong. That game was a whole haze. Michigan just absolutely hammered Minnesota. But I mean, other things in the Big Ten. Purdue beats Iowa. Iowa looked really bad. Iowa looked really really bad. And Purdue, I mean, Purdue's no world beater. So I, I, I don't, I'm not going to touch that. And Iowa's have more people leaving the program. So the, I would could be I a would dumpster looked, fire. Iowa looked exactly how I thought they would. That was the one prediction of the weekend that I was, that I got right, was that yeah. Iowa was going to be terrible and Purdue was going to win. Every, everything else was wrong. Michigan State over Rutgers, Minnesota over Michigan. Uh, I was right about Ohio State covering against Nebraska. Shout out to the Buckeyes. Thank God. Yeah. But um, but yeah, Iowa being terrible is the least surprising thing that's happened in 2020. Yeah, I, there's just too much going on there right now. And you, you said Nebraska complaining online again. Obviously, we got Wisconsin cancels their game. Graham Mertz, I mean, literally maybe the best performance by a first starter ever, maybe other than Jameis Winston. It's like those 1A, 1B. COVID out for 21 days, not playing Wisconsin, Nebraska game. There was like rumors that Nebraska was going to play like Chad Nuga, and then the Big Ten shut those down. Nebraska just relax. Like we we got football. There's going to be some like roadblocks. Yeah, I'd expect this. Like I I understand you you want to see these games being played. It, it just happens. I know Kevin Warren screwed it up that the fact they didn't start earlier in the season. But, like, it is what it is at this point. Well, that's yeah, the thing. I think... Nebraska has – sorry, Jared. Nebraska has this terribly inferiority complex about everything. Like, ever, the world's out to get us. The Big Ten hates us. 
blah, 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 blah. First no of all, you're a about middle. Nebraska in the Big Ten. No, you're a middle of the roads to the bottom half team ever since you've joined the Big Ten. You got your teeth kicked in by Ohio State on Saturday. And you were going to get your teeth kicked in by Wisconsin with or without their guys that have COVID. So maybe they should be counting their blessings that they're not playing instead of complaining and coming up with all these conspiracy theories that the world is out to get them. I'm tired of it. I'm tired. And it's not even Nebraska fans. It's like their, their flagship radio station and their actual athletic Twitter accounts are tweeting out these things about these conspiracies about how people are out to get us. If Nebraska had COVID, would we still be playing the game? It's like, just stop. They're just inflaming all these tensions with their fan base. And I, I'm just so tired of Nebraska. Get them out of there. Get them out. I'm just, <laughs> I, I am so – I would be number one on the list of signing the petition for getting Nebraska out of the Big Ten. Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. Goodbye. If you want to leave, see ya. Yeah, I think it's uh, definitely the Scott Frost effect because once he got there, they became much more vocal – in every aspect of their um, team, especially online. And um, any grievance that he has, Nebraska football's Twitter loves to share that. And he was complaining pretty hard before the game even started against uh, Ohio State, talking about how Nebraska and Ohio State were the only schools that fought for football in the Big Ten. And I just – this an, an antagonist mentality is – as Eric said, it's just – it's tiring. Yeah. yeah. Like – you're you're closer to Rutgers than you are Ohio State, but you still think it's the 1970s. Like Nebraska yeah. just needs to grow up. Back in the if Big you're not happy, if you're not happy, take your brand elsewhere. The Big Ten does not need you. For sure. And what's the goodbye? I, I, no one cares about Nebraska, just like at, at all. And no. Maybe maybe Iowa, like a little bit. I'm just saying, nobody cares. Like if they left, no one would shed a tear. They haven't been good since they've been in the Big Ten, really. I mean, the first like couple of years of Bo Pelini when the Big Ten was a little bit down, when Ohio State was going through some NCAA stuff and Michigan was not having their – I mean, they had the Rich Rod Brady hoax stuff. Michigan State was a little bit up. But, like, no one was saying – Nebraska has not been a true contender in this conference maybe since the they reason, first got in. The reason the Big Ten invited Nebraska was to enhance their brand and enhance their, you know – competitive teams and nationally spotlighted teams what has nebraska done to hold up their end of the deal nothing nothing they have better at basketball than they they have have at football recently they have come up so far short of the expectations the big 10 had for them when they joined and now they're just complaining the big 10 has it out to get them i i'm done i'm done kick them out find somebody else or just bring Shrink the Big Ten back down to 12 and get Rutgers or Maryland or both of them out there again, out of there too. Just like I'm, I'm done with Nebraska and Just I'm done with Just have validation after on, this year? Is that what you're saying? I'm done with people on Twitter with Nebraska. Like that is just okay. – that is the wrong tree to bark up if you're a Nebraska fan. To be honest, I, I don't Ten. follow that many Nebraska people, so that I, I might not see it as much, but I feel like they're brutal. Even they though I, even though they are probably like the nicest fan base ever, like you talk to anybody about going to Memorial Stadium, it's like an unbelievable experience every single time. So I don't know. I mean, national news: Marshall, Coastal Carolina, still ranked. Weekly reminder for you, Stearns. I, I'm not very happy about that. I'm very happy. Go, go, Demon Deacons, baby! Finally, meet a ranked team. Jim Groby's in a retirement home somewhere, smiling from ear to ear. 
Did you say Demon Deacons? We're talking about Coastal Carolina and Marshall. I you, no, I know you were talking about Coastal Carolina, and then I transitioned to say I was really happy for the success that Wake Forest had against VT. Finally oh. beat a ring team. They never beat a ring team. I just I missed, that out, I, out of nowhere. <laughs> I missed that bridge there. <laughs> Shout out I, Sam Hartman, QB1. That guy's a beast. I love him. And Bama loses Jalen Waddle for the year. That sucks. It's probably, yeah. I mean, he's a top 10 pick probably. He's an absolute stud. They'll be all right, but it definitely sucks for Waddle. I hope he's all right for the draft. Yeah. I, we what, ask... what was that? Was that a knee? Yeah. Ankle. Or, I think he yeah, broke his like... ankle. Yeah. Uh, here's a question that it's like a philosophical question. Do you put your guys like Waddle on special teams? Because this happened on a kickoff. Do you do – you, do you if it's not a hands team no if it's hands i understand but i don't no i would say no i think probably not but in big spots it's like fine like but i don't know i, I mean i i would put like your best athlete at punt returner like I, I i like that's like a big part of the game you know what i mean like you could truly flip the field and there's like a, i mean just ask for, michigan state yeah, yeah. I mean, you could talk to what's it called, Frank Beamer, Virginia Tech. He had his best players on special teams for years. That's what they were known for, Beamer Ball. So I don't know. That that actually is a interesting question. I don't know where I stand on that. Probably not on kickoff. Kickoff is an absolute mash because I mean, there, there's just bodies everywhere. I I I would leave him maybe on punt. I don't know. Other than that, I mean, um, not that great of a slate this week, to be honest. Last week and this mm-hmm. week. Yeah. Um, the big, the good Big Ten games don't start for a while, unfortunately. Yes. Unlo- but, I, I, um, it, go ahead, Jared. Sorry. Uh, I was just gonna say to the punt returner part. Um, MSU was putting Naylor back there in the first game, and he obviously had the muff at the end. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. I think maybe if you had someone at practice that's for punt returns that practices fielding, they're they're yeah. used to having dudes running full speed at them, but uh. And they're willing to take a hit, but I just I think I agree it's too risky to have, especially in MSU's case when you don't have that top level talent on offense. You need to keep those dudes healthy as much as possible. I'm returning is the hardest gig in football. Eh, I don't know about that. It is. I, 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 I think so. I, I, I'm the biggest believer in cornerback being the hardest position in like sports. Well, I'm just saying like physically catching and returning a punt is yes. one of the hardest physical things that people have to do in football. I, I don't disagree that being a cornerback is more difficult, but like from one, one single action in a football game, punt returning, in my opinion, is the most difficult thing. And I'm with you, Collins. you got to put your best guys back there for punt returns, but kickoffs. No, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I don't I, think. Yeah. And, and you mentioned Naylor there, Jared, he might not be there after Saturday, muffing up punt against Rutgers. Let's jump into it. I mean, by now, everyone's really giving off their tates and giving their opinions, but MSU loses 38-27 to 27 to Rutgers, drops at 0-1-1. MSU has seven turnovers. Rocky Lombardi, one thing that – I mean, one glass at full. Rocky Lombardi looked pretty good with 31 yeah. for 43, 319 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. One was a miscommunication. Others at the end of the game trying to make a play. He looked fine. Running back situation, we can talk about this, but – little weird leading rusher, Jordan Simmons, freshman out of Georgia, 11 carries, 43 yards, one fumble loss. Jaden Reed, the Western Michigan transfer, looked really good, 11 catches, 128 yards, two TDs, but loses two crucial fumbles. And I, I think the fumble to start the game is probably not the biggest play of the game, but, it, I mean, Michigan State was just from the gun. They were just fighting. 
Once a fumbler, always a fumbler. Believe that? Amir Abdullah theory? I really do. I'm worried that Jaden Reed is now a fumbler and that Michigan State's not going to be able to rely on him to hold on to the ball. As electric as he was outside of those two plays, I just – I'm worried now about that. Okay, so I, I that's a fair criticism. And, and, and let's move it like more broad scope with this Michigan State team. The seven turnover – I mean, you heard it all week. Like, how, how do you have seven turnovers? It's pretty hard to win it. Yeah, no, it's obviously pretty hard to win a game with seven turnovers. Do you guys think this is more rust, coaching, or or is this something you're going to see going forward? Do you think this team is as bad as they showed on Saturday? It's a culmination of everything. It's not one distinct factor. It's a matter of having your practice stopping and restarting 85 different times from getting hired in February to the country shuts down in March to you have your football team quarantined for two weeks to even Greg Chiano was hired in December. I mean, he had a, a couple extra months was really able to sort of look at the transfer market Rutgers. They had nine new transfers. I mean, they were able to poach a lot of quality guys. They did a good in, job. In, in, man, in my opinion, I, this is going to be, a, this is a transition year and we all knew it. But I think until the game was over on Saturday, some of us, including myself, were still expecting a 3-4 win year. And after that, after that monstrosity on Saturday, to put it bluntly, other may, I think that Iowa game is going to be a rock fight. I don't think that's a game Michigan State wins, but I could see that being a 20-13, 17-10 sort of game. Maryland looked dreadful against Northwestern. But other than that, I, I – I, the I told you last week, Collins, that Michigan State normally beats Indiana. Not this year. Can't yeah. see a way in which that works this year. But I I think it's a mix of implementing a new system. And again, it's you're trotting out these guys that have struggled time after time after time after time. I mean, you look at the offensive line. It's like you have so much starting experience from they ran a cure yard at left tackle. They were switching. Blake Buter and Duplain in at left guard. Samick saw a little bit of playing time. I don't know where Luke Campbell was. He's got 25. He's in. Yeah, he got hurt. He, yeah. wasn't, he wasn't dressed. Okay. So I think Dobbs is hurt too. Yeah. Dobbs and um, Campbell were both weren't dressed. Those are the only injuries on the offensive line. But again, Matt Allen, Carrick, there was just a complete breakdown time and time and time again. They struggled, especially on in the interior. And I, I don't know what you can necessarily attribute it to. I mean, you can say COVID, you can say, I just think it's a culmination of factors. I really do. I think it's a bunch of guys who until a month and a half ago, didn't think they were going to have football and were born to this off season training mode. And when you bring football back, these guys aren't going to tell you, but they, you know, when you play football, how good your team is. And after a while, that psyche starts to wear on. You know if you're a two-win team or you know if you're an eight-win team. Michigan State knows unequivocally without a doubt that Rutgers is a team they should have beaten. They're not going to tell you that. Mel's not going to go out in front of all the beat guys and the Charbonneaus and the Solaris and Kyle Austin and say, this is a game that we should have won. Rutgers is not a good team because that's just not a good PR move and you're going to get a lot of people. So, uh, Stearns, I'm going to cut you off a little bit. So did you think it was a flute? That was basic. You don't think it was a flute. You think this is something you're going to see going forward the rest of the season? Cause I, 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 I think immediately. I thought it was a fluke. 
I thought it was a little fluky, and I don't, I don't, I want to get Jared in the mix here too because he was covering the game too. I, I just, it's not even the seven turnovers, it's the five fumbles. Like there, there could be a seven turnover game where you throw like five interceptions, and that's a big problem. What do you mean by fluky, though? Are you just focusing on the turnovers? Because if you're just focusing on the turnovers, if you're talking large scale, there are going to be some games when Rocky Lombardi looks like a D2 starter. There are going to be some games where they get gashed for 150 yards on the ground. I'm saying in terms of discipline, it's going to be a different issue every week. You're going to see different things manifest themselves. And I think all year you're going to see a team that doesn't have enough recruits and frankly is a little bit overmatched because they didn't have enough time to gel because the coaching staff didn't have enough time to gel. That's what I think you're going to see. You're not going to have seven turnovers every game, but you're going to have O-line struggles. You're going to have miscommunications on the back end of the secondary. You're going to have missed blocking assignments just like you did last year. I'm just – my point, and I, I want to hear what Eric and Jared have to say because I've been talking too long, and so you have Stearns. But Stearns, I love your rants. They're fantastic. <laughs> but, I like, I saw good things. I, I, I don't know if I can say that in the fact that they lost the Rutgers. And I'll tell you one thing, like you said, Stearns, they're going to have a hard time covering the season win total at two and a half now if you don't beat Rutgers first game of the year. Because we said you got to beat Rutgers or, or, or you're staring on the barrel of possibly being 0-4, 0-5 because the schedule doesn't get easier, obviously. But, like, you lose five fumbles, lose all of them. I, 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 and I, that, that's a product of bad coaching. And, and, and being just complete, not complacent, but just being reckless with the football. But I, I just don't think that I don't see that happening throughout the year. And you could be right. Rocky played pretty well on Saturday. You might not get that performance every week, but I, I, I think this team is better what they showed on Saturday and they were horrible on Saturday. Yeah. I, um, I think the start for the game was the biggest um, problem Agreed. for MSU. Um, they came out flat, which was a shock to me because all offseason, Tucker was preaching how the team was going to be ready. No matter no matter the circumstances, they were going to be ready and they were going to play hard. In the first five minutes of the game, defense lets Rutgers march down the field. Um, they turn the ball over, uh, and Rutgers scores again, and it's 14-0 within the first four minutes of the game. And that, I mean, MSU only had 50 rushing yards, too, and that was a huge part of it. They were just down early, and they couldn't run their normal offense or – their expected offense, I should say, um, under Jay Johnson, who struggled, I would say. His fourth yes. down calls made me want to pull my hair out. I mean, uh, the not even the fourth, the third and four where you're out of the eye formation and you're running a, a dive is unexplainable based on the stuff they were doing the whole game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just, they just, on first and second down, way too often they were just punting those downs, whether it be a check down or just a run right up the middle with Connor Hayward. So I just think they need to be more creative and more aggressive on offense, especially early on first and second down. Uh, They're a half student against Michigan, or it's going to be a bloodbath. And I I honestly don't know how to judge the defense um, after this game because they, they had um, Rutgers on half their possessions. They had 14 possessions, and seven of them came on a short field off turnover. So it's – the defense looked good at looked really good at times and they looked like they could be shredded through the air at times too. So um Yeah. Yeah. That was a good point. I, I, I wasn't thrilled the way that Michigan State's cornerbacks played, but
but I, 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 I'm not going to tell you I'm a DB coach expert, but I mean, they, they flipped those groups around a couple times. Mm-hmm. All right. Here's my take on the game. It was a fluke that Michigan state lost to Rutgers because committing seven turnovers is a fluke. Rutgers is much better. This is not the Rutgers that you picture when you, of the past few years. I'm saying that the whole year, Bach, even if it's not true. Of them getting just pounded by people. Like those transfers that Greg Schiano brought in make a big difference. I mean, Dwumfor from Michigan, Vidral, the quarterback from Nebraska, wanted to transfer to an actual Big Ten program that's not going to get the boot here in a second. But um, (laughs) so – Michigan State, you said it, Jared. The start is what killed them. The the defense really after that opening drive kind of settled in. Like yeah. they gave up two drive, two real drives in the game. The opening drive, and there was a drive in the second half where Rutgers went basically the length of the field to score. And but all the other points, I mean, Rutgers was gifted a touchdown with a fumble inside the MSU five yard line. Rutgers was gifted a touchdown of, on a fumble inside the MSU 30-yard line. I mean, that's 14 points right there, and that's the difference in the game, regardless yeah. of the other turnovers. If Michigan State turns it over four times, they win the game. And they still had a chance to even win the game, committing seven turnovers after they forced a turnover of their own on the strip sack that Michigan State then was stopped on fourth down in Rutgers territory. Horrible so, play calling. Just horrible. Horrible play calling, and that was – that was the moment. I mean, there were other moments that Michigan State threw the game away, but that right there was the singular moment you can point to where Michigan State lost the game. I mean, you can talk you can talk about the turnovers, you can talk about everything else, but that moment where they weren't able to cash in that turnover that their defense forced for a touchdown is it was the difference. Um, I was a I thought that the call on Chris Jackson on the pick six by Shakur Brown. I thought that 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 penalty was terrible. I thought both blindside block fouls by that crew that they called in that game were both just 100% wrong. Was that the one on Reed? Yeah. Yeah, That was a bad one. And it it costs, I mean, I sent that, the Reed play around to my, a few of my referee friends that work college football and all of them wrote back that it was, that's just 100% an incorrect call. The one on Reed, the one on Jackson was a little more ambiguous, but I mean, the Jackson one takes points off the board. The Reed one, who knows what would have happened. Yeah. But um, so, I mean, so God, don't take this as me blaming the officials for Michigan State losing to Rutgers because the official, that is, th- this is, that a, is not the this case. This is a hate crime in the official community. Yeah, that is not the case. Um, Michigan State, I mean, when you commit seven turnovers, regardless of what happens in the game, you don't yes. deserve to win, whether it's a freshman football game or a peewee football game. Um, Michigan State did not deserve to win that game, however you slice it. But yeah. they – I think that they're not going to win this Saturday. They're not going to win against Ohio State. Come on, State save your picks. State. Come on, the listeners uh, – I mean, we, we got to save it for the pick Let's relax here. But, but when we say that – when you hear when you hear in a vacuum Michigan State lost to Rutgers, it's bad. that statement is way worse than the actual product on the field. Like Mel That's Tucker – Mel Tucker inherited a roster that's basically kind of in disrepair. I mean, the offensive line is, I'm just going to say it, brutally awful. The secondary is 
a little bit better than brutally awful. Xavier Henderson's half a player. Gervin and Brown are not very good. Um, Trey Person's the worst one in the entire unit. I mean, yeah, he gets beat yeah. for touchdowns every every time he's on the field. And Brown and Gervin are serviceable, and Henderson's an average Big Ten safety. So the linebackers are great. Antoine Simmons is good. Noah Harvey's going to come into his own in the middle I'll, linebacker I'll say this, spot. I mean, Simmons struggled on Saturday. And I don't know – and I was uh, – at yeah. He did. What Simmons, Simmons. were you watching? I was watching the game. The linebacker struggled, Stearns. The linebacker struggled. That one long That's, touchdown by Virgil was on Antoine Simmons. Antoine was around is, the ball a lot. He had yeah, a, I mean, he's the best player on the football team. I'm not saying that. I'm expecting a lot out of Antoine Simmons. I'm saying he had a bad game for him. That, that That's different than everyone else on the team because he's the best player on the football team. I'm just saying. I, I wasn't impressed with Harvey and Simmons week one. And I, I, I don't think that was any of their fault. I think that they there was a lot of confusion and a lot of movement pre-snap on the defense. And I wanted to ask you guys about the schematics because this is the first time we really saw what Michigan State was going to do this year on the offense or defensive side of the football. Offensively, I don't like the pistol stuff. I've never seen any one team. What they did last year, too. I've never seen one team be able to run out of the pistol. And if you're a Detroit Lions fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about because Jim Bob Cooter did it for maybe four straight years trying to say, hey, we need to give our O-line more time to open up. It doesn't work. Like If that's the run, the run scheme you're going to be running, it's not going to work. I, I liked some of the things they did with Rocky Lombardi in the pocket. I, I mean, he was in the pocket a lot more than I expected. I thought I think the one thing that they struggled to do is they didn't give him enough running plays or designed runs. I think that's something they need to build into the offense. Yeah, I Rocky was, Lombardi. Go ahead, Jared. Go oh, ahead, I was Jared. just gonna say I was shocked too by the lack of um, either op, like read option plays or just straight quarterback design runs. Because that was the main calling card for Rocky over the other two quarterbacks coming into the season, and say he's more athletic, bigger, could use his body. But he impressed me in the um, passing game. Uh, I think good in the pocket. I was surprised. Yeah, and I I think the biggest problem right now for MSU is the interior offensive line. Buter, Campbell, yes. and um, Allen just were getting just bullied by the D tackles for Rutgers all game. Con- or um, Simmons and Hayward were we're getting met in the backfield like it was 2019 all over again. Um, Elijah Collins was a no-show, which was shocking. It was. And, Trent, and so was Trenton Gillison, actually. So um, those two guys, yeah. I thought they were going to be two of the biggest, if not the two biggest players for MSU this year, and they were huge non-factors. You saw a lot those of two guys both had – those Gillison and Collins both had outstanding bowl games, yes. too. Yep. So you were expecting, you know, like you said, Jared, those two to be a focal point of the offense. Collins didn't even start. He's a Big Ten's leading returning rusher. He didn't even start the game. And Gillison was on the field for a few plays, but was a complete non-factor. Dotson actually made a couple of nice catches. Yeah, he Um, did. He played – I thought Dotson played pretty well. I'm surprised he's even bad. He tore his Achilles pretty late in the season. Yeah. 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 Shocking. But I I, I don't know what you think, Stearns, but I mean – I, Mel went back and basically said, I thought we got bullied like on the offensive line, but I watched the tape and it looked better. I, I, I think that's just him trying to raise the confidence of his guys before a rivalry game. I don't know what happened, but I mean, not being able to run the ball in Rutgers. I, I mean, I don't know if you've seen Michigan's D line this week, 
but it's only going to get worse. Here's what I saw, especially from an offensive line perspective. Rutgers is not running a bunch of exotic stunts and a bunch of two, three-man blitzes. It was a lot of simple swim moves, rip moves, bull rush moves, the stuff they teach you in high school. And they're blitzing off the backside. And the biggest problem I had with the pass pro side of things is when you're having Elijah Collins trying to pick up a uh, corner who's blitzing off the edge and it's coming at a million miles an hour. They could not protect the backside of Lombardi to save his life on those third and longs when Rutgers is blitzing off the backside. Okay, it just, it, it was inside zone. It was outside zone. It was not being able to get a push. Michael Dornford and Julius Turner on the inside had themselves a field day. And at the end of the day, man, Allen, Blake Buter, you guys are veterans, okay? By, by now, you got to learn how to work with a swim move. You got to learn how to get push off the ball. You got to learn how to deal with a bull rush. You got, you, you deal with these, these different guys every day. I liked some of the, aggra- I, I don't like the play calls on fourth down, but I like the aggressiveness associated with it because when you play to lose, like when you run a soft zone and you're up by 10 in the fourth quarter in the NFL, it always comes back to bite you and you lose. When you play to lose, you never win the game. So I like the aggressiveness. I like that that tenant was there. But it was just a miscommunication on all sides of the ball. You don't, between Lombardi and Naylor not knowing, Lombardi said he thought Naylor was running a go route and he, you know, Naylor was supposed to break off the route and I'm going to take the side of Lombardi because other than the offensive coordinator, normally your quarterback's going to have a better idea of what the play's supposed to be than the receivers. But it, it, it was just a mess. It was an utter mess. I liked, I, one more thing. Jaden Reed, good route runner. I like his ability to get open and find those holes in the soft zone. But other than that, man. Movie? No, I, was, I had the Michigan Rutgers stat, uh, the box score pulled up, and that stupid ESPN ad keeps popping Oh, my up. God. Because it was – I, I was going to say, the box score has uh, sound effects. I'm, I'm not aware of those. No, Antoine, because you were talking about – Antoine, 11 tackles, three and a half tackles for loss. Just, it doesn't matter, Stearns. The numbers don't deceive what I saw with my two eyes. I'm just saying. There was a couple big plays that he misread, and, and he usually doesn't do that. He's their best football player. That doesn't mean he like he's not going to have a couple slip-ups. I'm just saying. I, I, I'm expecting a perfect game out of him, which is unfair. Is cru- it's really unfair. I'm just saying. I, I, I know what you're saying, though. He, he w- he's always in on the play. He's always in on the play. He did a, I mean, he did a lot of good, especially on those toss sweeps they had to the, that when they were trying to bounce to the outside. He's a really good downhill sideline to sideline linebacker. I yes. thought he played well. I thought Noah Harvey played well. And by and large, mm. that first defensive line of Drew Brees, Drew Brees he had himself a game. Yeah, played Jones really well. Played pretty well on the inside. Jacob Slade played solid. Panashuk wasn't as much of a factor, but he was also getting double team and chipped every time. But it's that second offensive, that second defensive line with Jalen Hunt and and um, Jack Camper and guys like that. Like those guys struggled. There is such little depth on that side outside of the front four. And then you saw Michigan State running the four-two-five. And you just talk, Eric just talked about how inexperienced and the subpar play of the secondary, to be yeah. honest with you. And I, I don't know who else, if you ran the more traditional 4 3, who do you put in other than Klein and Bodang? But it just, it's, guys got it. It's got to click. For Xavier yeah. Henderson, it's got to click. Yeah. Okay. For Kalan Gervin, who was a huge recruit, 
it's got to click. This stuff's got to start coming to you. You were a four-star to cast for a reason. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if you guys have a combination you like at corner. I mean, Jetson, I don't hate Chris Jet. I mean, it's a different. I'd rather see that than – I mean, Shakur Brown and Kalon Durbin the last two years have shown you what they can do on the field. I, I would rather get creative – and I thought we would have saw more Dom Lawn than we did on the defensive side of the football. Yeah. And we didn't. I was kind of disheartened by that because I think he he might not have all the like I, he might not have the experience at cornerback, but physically he he he's there. Like he's like six two. He's one of the fastest guys on the team. What just like throw him out there. You have nothing That's to lose at this too. point. I so told I, Eric the same thing about Loris Nelson. Where was he? Yeah. He's a 5'8 guy, and I think he's the best guy that you have to get vertically on that entire team to open up the passing game for yeah. more of the intermediate routes. Nobody else can stretch the field like that, and he didn't see a snap. I think – and what's it called? Tucker complimented Julian Barnett, who I, I – he is he officially moved to the defensive side of the football? Yep. Yes. 24-7. So, okay. So, I'm, I'm assuming he's going to get a shot. I don't know if it's this week or it's next week, but I, I'm assuming Julian Barnett will get a shot at cornerback this year. Here's the problem with this upcoming game Saturday. I think we probably should move on to Michigan here. But Michigan returns five defensive starters yes. from last year, and three of them are on the defensive line. And those dudes had themselves a field day on Saturday. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson, Carlo Kemp, and Quiddy Pay are the three returning defensive linemen for Michigan. And those guys, I mean, especially Pay and Hutchinson, had – great games on Saturday and yep. must have been just salivating watching Michigan State's game against Rutgers. I mean, that's the thing. The problem with this game Saturday for Michigan State, well, there are many problems, but the biggest one is that Michigan is strong where Michigan State is weak. Yep. It's, like, it's like strength on strength. Michigan State is strong in some areas, but Michigan is also strong in the counter areas for those. Like, if Rocky Lombardi can throw the ball down the field on Saturday, I mean, Brad Hawkins and Daxton Hill are going to be back there waiting for him. And um, Michigan State can't run the ball. Michigan's defensive line is probably the best unit on their entire team. Mm -hmm. um, Michigan's wide receivers are inexperienced other than Ronnie Bell, but he they have vertical threats all over the place. And if Joe Milton – Joe Milton – was pretty good on Saturday, but I think his performance for me was a little bit overhyped. He didn't really have to do that much. Yes. The defense dominated the game. They ran the ball for eight yards a pop. I mean, that's a quarterback's best friend. He, he did not connect on one deep ball. He did exactly what I expected him to do is overthrow every deep ball by five yards because his arm is like juiced. And so I think that if Michigan State can keep the Wolverines in front of them on Saturday, they're going to give themselves a fighting chance to at least cover 24 and a half. Um, but there's just no way they're going to be able to run the ball against Michigan. If they couldn't run it against Rutgers, there's no way they're going to be able to run it against Michigan, which is a, a real problem. It's okay. Let's, so let's deep dive into Michigan right now. That was a good transition by Bob professional professional broadcaster or Bach, as I like right. to say. That's I mean, right. I mean, Michigan just house them. 49-24 in prime time. Michigan wins a little brown job. Great trophy. I don't like that Minnesota. I mean, I know it's been like 10 years, maybe longer than that. I missed the Metrodome. It was a nice little wrinkle. 
It was a nice little rental to have one indoor stadium in the big town. I loved it. But I mean, I, I, like you said, Milton didn't have to do a lot, but he looked really polished. He looked very composed. I mean, and like you said, the O-line absolutely dominated. And that's a, that was a be, question. E- that, that was a question mark. That was a question. Easy mark to be composed team. with no fans though. You know, yeah. like the, the no fans aspect of this season is very beneficial to the road teams, because if this was a typical Saturday night and Michigan gets a punt blocked on the first possession and Minnesota scores like that with 60,000 drunk Minnesotans in the crowd, who knows if Joe Milton would have been quite as poised as he actually was. Now, I guess that's not really even a relevant point to bring up because there's no fans this season, but the, the circumstances for Joe Milton for the, for his first road start could not have been better. Minnesota's defense was decimated by COVID. There were no fans and they ran the ball for eight yards of carry. I mean, that is like a perfect storm for success for a first year starting quarterback making his debut on the road. I mean, Michigan, I mean, they ran like, I think Haskins had the most yards, but he broke a big one. No, they don't really have a bell cow this year. They're just – they got a bunch of guys. There. It's like Charbonneau, Haskins. I mean, you'll see guys. Chris Evans is back. Yeah, you'll see I Jackson. didn't even realize that he was back. Yeah, Chris they got Evans a lot of dudes like on the team again. Back. They, they, like, you look at their, like, stat sheet, you're like, they have, like, 13 guys who got carries. It was, like, very odd to see on a score sheet. But, I mean – like you said, we've talked about this. Michigan's front seven elite. I think they're going to be really good. Because even if Minnesota's like defense was decimated, I was impressed by Minnesota's offensive line all last year. And they made them look like a JV team. Five sats, one causing a touchdown. Michael Barrett, I mean, I don't know where Michigan keeps finding these undersized linebackers like Lee Hudson. But that little – I think that's the one thing Don Brown has done really well at Michigan. He understands – like players like strengths and he just does it. like Barrett's probably got like a safety build, but guess what? He's going to put him in the box all game because that's where he's like, that's where he stride. Like that's where he's going to succeed. He does. He doesn't mess around with like, let's see if this guy can try and do that. And you saw that with Jabril peppers when he was at Michigan, they're like, we're basically playing him as a linebacker. He's not a safety anymore because that's what he's, his strength is. So I, I, I was really impressed by Michigan's defense, but I mean, like you said, Michigan capitalized on a lot of Minnesota errors. They did. They did exactly what they were wanting to do. I think they got almost every break they could have got against Minnesota. And guess what? That's what happens when you outplay a team. I completely believe that. Do you – are you – I'm kind of in this mindset that there's going to be a little overcorrection, and I think that's why the line's at 24-and-a-half for both teams. I think people are saying Michigan's a little bit better than they really are, and Michigan State's a little bit worse than they really are. Is that a fair statement? I yes. think I think so. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not saying Michigan's like some bad. I'm just they looked like one of the better teams in the, like a top ten team in the country last Saturday. I don't know if they are because if you looked at the pieces, and I know I'm saying this like on paper, it just it, it really doesn't add up. And I'm interested to see how Minnesota looks against Maryland. Because I, I I had really high hopes for Minnesota. We talked about them last week. Michigan absolutely dominated them. And and we all thought they were going to be contenders in the West. You're right. I mean, I it is important to remember Minnesota was decimated by COVID. They were out quite a few starters. So this isn't the full 
Minnesota team. They did, they did run the ball relatively well. Ibrahim was able to cut a few gaps and see, and I think he had 100, 140 yards rushing off the top of my head. So they did run the ball relatively well. But Tanner Morgan was 18 to 31, 191. Very good day. Bateman, Bateman had a couple nice sideline grabs, but for an inexperienced Michigan secondary, Vincent Gray, I mean, with Ambry Thomas gone, they did well. They held up a lot better than I thought they were going to do. I thought Bateman and Rochester Adams product, Vincent Gray. I was going to say, I thought, away from that. I thought that I thought Michigan was going to get torched. I mean, I was wrong on every level. I Harbaugh's had problems in the past getting up for big games. And say what you want. I mean, this was more of a scrimmage in a park in terms of an actual atmosphere than an, a quote-unquote away game. But I'll tell you another thing, too. You're going to see Aiden Hutchinson lined up inside a lot. It's like a three-tech or a shade. Mm-hmm. They're going to put him on the inside with Carlo Kemp, okay? And they're going to make they're going to put Quiddy Pay out wide. You put Quiddy Pay, and then you say, I'm going to put my best guy against A.J.R. Curie or Kevin Jarvis. But if Hutchinson's big enough, 6'5", 6'6", 270, you put him on the inside, there is no – way Michigan's going to be able to run or Michigan State's going to be able to run. When you can't figure out what running back you're, you're using, this yeah. is the game you'd want to use Elijah Collins. But my biggest worry is his confidence is zapped. I mean, how would you feel if you run for 990 yards as a freshman and then the next game you're getting beat out by a guy who's never taken a college snap? I mean, there's something below the surface there. There's something below the surface that we don't know about because it just doesn't make fundamental sense that was the biggest question for me and if they don't use him more it is going to be a long day they have to be more multifaceted on offense their entire offense was predicated on Jaden Reed trying to give it to Jordan Simmons with varying degrees of success and a little bit of Jalen Naylor that was it you cannot have three guys who your entire offense is focused around you have two receivers and one running back you need Matt Dotson more you need Gillison more you need Loress Nelson more, okay? And you don't need to throw swing passes to Connor Hayward anymore. I'm sick of that. I'm yeah. so sick of trying to give that the guy the ball out in space. Give it to Colin. Where was Ant Williams? That's another yeah, question. I don't, yeah, I don't know what's going on. with, And we, we kind of glossed over that talking about the Rutgers game. I don't know what's going on in the running back room. I really don't. It seems like Connor Hayward's made a very good impression with the new staff. And to be fair, I mean, Connor Hayward, before he transferred – was getting more carries than Elijah Collins. Not more carries. He was getting split carries with Elijah Collins under D'Antonio before he decided to go into the transfer portal. Well, that- he started off, the, no, though, game one, and then he's gradually lost carries yes. and struggled and struggled and yes. struggled. But you, you know what I'm saying, though. Like, yeah. the, to be fair a little bit, and I, I think they were just like, hey, we got to throw Elijah Collins into the fire, and he turned out to be a really productive player. I, I, I don't get it because I really think Elijah Collins is really good in between the tackles. Like he he's that game burner. Like he can he can break off a seventy yard run, but I he's kind of got he's not Le'Veon Bell, but he's he makes it good out of little. Like for him to have nine hundred seventy yards last year is impressive with the O line he was working with. I so it's, I, and I know he said he had a couple really big games and that inflates that number, but I, I would like to see Elijah Collins more, and that, I don't think that's a hot take. And then yeah. th- that's all I was talking about in terms of when you yeah. how, how do they have to play against Michigan? That's got to be the biggest thing. You got to be more full, multifaceted on offense. And the, the secondary is going to get tested. Yeah. The secondary is going to get tested because Milton's going to have all day to throw. Okay. So you're going to need to see better than what Sh- from Shakir Brown, Kalan Gervin, Dowell, Trey Persons, Xavier Henderson. You're going to need to see better. 
this is a rivalry game, okay? And in rivalry games, things are weird. I don't buy the 24, 25 point spread. I, I really don't. I think Michigan's state's a little bit better because a good team, and Eric, you'll remember me saying this on the broadcast, a good team would have put 65 up against Michigan State. Objectively speaking on Saturday, I still, I think Rockers is still maybe the second, third worst team. They might be better than Maryland, but that's it. Okay, so I'm done. I got off my soapbox. Yeah. Um, to talk about Michigan for a sec, I think MSU's defensive line is going to be up for a task after what Michigan was able to do against Minnesota's defensive line. Mm-hmm. Milton had all day to throw, and the running lanes were insane. So I think it's going to be really imperative for the defensive line, especially um, Naquan Jones and Jacob Slade, to try to just plug up those holes. Because Charbonnet was very successful between the tackles while they saved Haskins and Milton for, like, the outside runs. And I think another thing is um, with the 4-2-5, I think Michigan's going to really, really try to pound the ball down MSU's throat and force them to change into a more base defense. Yeah. yeah. So I, I expect that Michigan come out running the ball heavily. Um, they were very successful in the quarterback, like, sweeps, too, where they pull both guards. Um, Harvey was Harvey struggled a lot with the sideline to sideline play. He was really good in the ta- in between the tackles, but I think Harvey's going to have to have a huge game because that's really how Milton was able to get big chunk plays when he got outside the tackles, and that's going to be he mainly on Harvey. Too. I think he's a big boy and can move. Mm-hmm. He, he like I I I was the one thing I was questioning because I didn't I haven't really seen Joe Milton. I was like, how well can this guy really move? He can motor for a guy of his size. Yeah, it, watching that game it reminded me of eight years ago watching Michigan week one games of when Denard Robinson was um, playing because he would come out, have a great game. Everyone would put him on the Heisman list. I think Milton's better than Denard Robinson ever was. And I think yeah, the Michigan teams have more I, I talent, agree. but I think there's a similarity there. But you said that Michigan state's weaknesses are all Michigan strength. Is there any position group where you give Michigan state the edge? No, no. Okay, I, I'm, I, I'm not. I'm not against that either. I. It's pretty hard to look uh, at these rosters and say that. Kicker. I think that maybe, maybe the Michigan State wide receivers can get some separation against the corners of Michigan. That's the one. That's the one area I think that that it's that it's closest. Yeah. I think the line, both lines, Michigan has a heavy advantage. The quarterback, Michigan advantage, Michigan running backs should in theory go advantage Michigan state. If they use their guy that is in my opinion, the best Elijah Collins. But I mean, what, what this game, especially this game, what every game, but especially this game comes down to is a rushing battle. I mean, 45 of the last last 50 winners of this game have won the rushing battle. Mm -hmm. And I have, I would bet the mortgage and everything I own that Michigan is going to win the rushing battle on Saturday. That's fair, and we're gonna we're gonna make we're gonna hold off on our predictions because we gotta give our weekly awards out first. It's been a long episode, so we got we got to get through these awards quickly. But if you listen to the show last year, we give out the SRC Offensive Player of the Week and the SRC Defensive Player of the Week, and then we give out the Jory, Joey Ellis Memorial Frame slash Unit of the Week, and we switch up the names on the offense and defensive side of the game. So for this rivalry week, SRC. Edwin Baker, Offensive Player of the Week. Very underrated running back in the Michigan State Mark D'Antonio era. 
very underrated, kind of got overshadowed by Le'Veon Bell. My offensive player of the week was Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati. I, I think he rushed for like 180 yards. And I, he's not really known for that. And, I mean, they housed, housed. Who did they play? They S- play Memphis. SMU. SMU. They house SMU. Memphis, SMU, same to me. But Desmond Ritter is They play Memphis this week. Yeah, that's true. That's in the pick I'm an idiot. Whatever. SRC, <laughs> Edwin Baker, Offensive Player of the Week, Desmond Ritter for Ryan Collins. My Edwin, Baker, my Edwin Baker, Offensive Player of the Week, is not necessarily because he had that great of a game, but because we have to keep bringing up Coastal Carolina. The quarterback, Fred Payton. What a what name. Of, what, what kind of somebody who, – who names their kid Fred these days? Uh, I haven't heard of Fred yards. in a long time. Yes, but not – yeah, 300-plus yards, three touchdowns. Coastal Carolina is ranked um, in the top 20. And they're just going to keep on rolling. I mean, it's not like there's going to be that many Big Ten teams vying. The uh, the Chanticleers, the, Coast Carolina, the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. Shout that's out. Mascot. Myrtle so Beach. That's my, yep. Jared, I went with Christian Beal Smith, baby. Okay. I, did. I literally just cut Stearns off like twice in this whole segment. <laughs> but go ahead, Stearns. Zoom. I'm sorry. Zoom podcast, man. It's the life yeah, I know. Live. It's a grind. Go ahead, Stearns. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. 13 rushes, 129 yards in that big Wake Forest win over Virginia Tech. Got to give Dave Clawson a lot of credit. He inherited an absolute dump of a program. Groby, like D'Antonio, had some really good years. I went to the Orange Bowl. I think it was in 2006 or 2007, but it was lit on fire. Lit on fire in the last two years, they've been better. Maybe they, can go, maybe they can go to the, the Mina Key Car Care Bowl again. I used to see those games all the time with my dad at B of A. They would always play West Virginia in the Mina Key Car Care Bowl and lose by three every time. That was the, the Geno Smith days of West Virginia. Pat but White. he's making Jim Crope. He's making Jim Grobe, and I – by doing my research, there was another Wake Forest head coach about 90 years back called P. Head Walker. So he's making P. Head Walker very proud right now. Great name. Jerry, um, who'd you got? My offensive player of the week, I went with uh, Graham Mertz from Wisconsin. Uh, patient good, zero man. for the Big Ten. Um, threw for five touchdowns. Uh, pretty much had, had his way with the, uh, with the defense. And Wisconsin w- turned into a team that aired the ball out, which was shocking. I will say this about that game. Illinois got completely hosed by the officials in that game. And I, I know oh, Bach always so says bad. that, that I get on the officials. But if you watch that Illinois-Wisconsin game, there was like three or four spots that were incorrect. And there was a clear offsides on Wisconsin that was called on Illinois. But I, that's just something. I'm going to be I, honest, Collins. Normally when you make these claims, I have the evidence to refute you. But I, I, I did I'll not, send you the clips. I'll send you the I clips. I did not. I was refereeing myself on Friday and did not watch one single second of the Wisconsin game. So I really don't have any information about that. I'll send you the info. I'll send you. I was pretty animated about it. Pretty animated about it. Love to hear that. That's our SRC Mike Martin defensive player of the week. Shout out to all the Michigan fans out there. Mike Martin, very underrated player. Kind of got got overshadowed because they kind of sucked when he was there, but Mike Martin, good defensive lineman for Michigan. And I'm going to sit with a Michigan guy, Michael Barrett. I mean, he just had a huge week. I, I mean, he made a couple plays in special teams. He made a re- – I mean, absolutely murdered, murdered Tanner Morgan on that little fumble slash interception for a touchdown for Michigan. I'm going with Michael Barrett for my Mike Martin Defensive Player of the Week. I'm staying with the Wolverines, Quiddy Pay. I mean, he was – had back-to-back really sacks. Minnesota 
was down, I think, 10 in like the third quarter and was starting to drive a little bit. And on second and third down, Quiddy Pay sacked Tanner Morgan on back-to-back plays to get the Gophers out of field goal range. And they punted. And then Michigan went down and scored, and that was the game. So um, Quiddy Pay, he uh, – He's a pro. Did you know that he's a pro? Did you know he was born in Liberia? Did not know that. It's a sweet um, name. So he is – he's going to have – if he stays healthy, he's going to have a similar game on Saturday, I I, I assume, because he's yeah, – no matter who Michigan State lines across from him, he's going to be better. So <laughs> Michigan State is going to have to just try to hope to keep LaRocky Lombardi upright this Saturday. I'm going to cheat the system and go with the entire Notre Dame defense. Okay. Because like me projecting that Michigan was going to get their doors kicked in by Minnesota, I also projected that Notre Dame would beat Pittsburgh on the road. I saw that. Ever. Okay, because previous weeks they were bad against Louisville and they hadn't beaten anybody. And Pittsburgh was better than any other ACC team that they played. And my God, did I look like an idiot. Notre Dame wins 45-3. to Joey Yellen, what a name. <laughs> For Pittsburgh, goes 10-27, 101 yards, three picks. Vincent Davis, the leading rusher for Pittsburgh, has eight carries for 28 yards. Notre Dame was just unstoppable. Like, did you know Pickett was wasn't going to play, Stearns? What? Did you know Pickett wasn't playing? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. And I still thought that they were going <laughs> – I still thought. I really, really did. I Respect really – I was so just absolutely – baffled by that performance against Louisville. And I thought that going on the road, even though there's no fans, it would have been the hardest challenge in Notre Dame would have sleepwalk because you see them do that a lot. So the entire Notre Dame defense, my hat's off to them. Uh, for me, I'm going to have to go back to Wake Forest. Um, Stern's love. I'm going to have to go with Nick Anderson, true freshman cornerback. He had three picks and 11 tackles, just completely dominated, completely dominated the Vatek quarterback. Can't think of his name right now. Um, but Vatech he, is such a weird program right now. Yeah, they really are. That game against North Carolina a few weeks ago is still one of the craziest football games I've seen. Yeah. But, yeah, he single-handedly changed the game in the second half. He had two picks and seven tackles in the second half. That's he pretty was, remarkable. Yeah. You don't really hear about numbers like that, for especially freshman cornerbacks or cornerbacks at all in college football, unless you're pretty dominant. Move on, last category, SRC Joey Ellis Memorial Unit slash Frame of the Week. I'm going to go with Dred Shiano. He, he, he just – there was something about Shiano on the sidelines for Rutgers, and I hated it while I was watching a game, but it felt, like, right. You know what I mean? Like, he, he belongs. Like, he, he he fits the Starlet Knights. Like, the black and red just – his eyes sparkle. They twinkle a little bit when he's got the Rutgers R on his chest. So, I'm going to go with Dred Shiano. I'm going with Joey Molinaro. He's not a player. Yes. He's an internet personality who did, who does impressions of people, of like football coaches. And his mm-hmm. Nick Saban is phenomenal. But this week he, on Twitter, he had about a two and a half minute video of him reading a passage from Coach O's book from LSU. Um, and it was, it was like he was lip syncing it and Coach Go O Tigers. was actually reading it. Go Tigers. It was it was, and it was a passage of him telling the story about how we convinced Joe Burrow to go to LSU and then talk about the crawfish and all that sort of thing. And so it was, I love how coach O's has had a free pass this year. 
We're like, hey, oh, yeah. We, yeah, we just like lose as National- many games. Hey, we'll get him next year. I love it. National champ last year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you Joey should. Molinaro. Joey Molinaro is my Joey Ellis Memorial Unit Frame of the Week. I still don't think Joey knows that we do this, by the way. I, I think he does. I think Hunt told him last year. I, I feel like you would have texted me, but I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I went with the tip of the football in the Indiana-Penn State game as Panics was rushing toward the far side pylon and dove. I thought he got it. I did. I thought it was close. The original call on the field was a touchdown. I don't think he could have overturned it. I I mean, it, it's, it, it has to be indisputable. I thought barely that tip of the ball crossed one white blade of grass. So props to that football because nobody, nobody in Michigan likes Penn State. Like, other than Ohio State and Michigan, I think, anyone likes Penn State. I think the third most hated fan base for Michigan State fans is Penn State, and they might rival Ohio State. I mean, nobody likes James Franklin. Nobody likes Penn State. It's just such an aura of arrogance that surrounds that entire program. I don't think anyone here's, just like no one likes Penn State. Just no one likes here's them. My, here's my take on that play. I agree with you in saying that whatever the call on the field was was not going to be overturned, Stearns, but I do think that he was short. I think that the nose of the football touches the ground before it hits the pylon. I don't blame the official standing there for getting it wrong at the time. Or I, I mean, it's up for debate whether or not he got it right or wrong. But it's so close. I'm glad that the call went the way it did because I'm glad Indiana won. Shout out but, Tom Allen. Um, but I love you, Coach. I, that was a great I clip. Do, I can't get over it. Sorry. I do think that if you put a gun to my head to make me make a decision about that play, I would say he was short yeah i have the same uh moment as stearns i have indiana's last second touch or two-point conversion um michael Penix, yeah yeah I, michael michael Penix. he struggled all game and the last five minutes of the game he just turned up and looked like probably the third best quarterback in the big 10 behind fields mm. and then milton or peyton ramsey at northwestern so I, I and I love Indiana this year. I think their defense is legit. Um, and Tom Allen, as, Tom Allen, as you said, he's he's a motivator. That video got me fired up too. I love that. So we love you, Coach. And nervous, I like get emotional. It jumps into the crowd. I love that. But yeah, those are weekly awards. We're gonna do that every week going forward. We kind of, uh, like I said, college football didn't feel real to me until the Big Ten was back, and the Big Ten's back. So that's our season full swing. And speaking of in full swing, our fourth member of the show, who Jared is filling in for, Joe Dandron. We didn't even mention Joe. I'm sorry, Joe, if you're listening to the show and we haven't mentioned your name till like 45 minutes to an hour till the show. He's not on the show this week. He will be making his pick on pits, but it won't be on the show. So we'll relay to you those next week. I don't know what I cannot talk ever, ever on this show. I get too excited talking about college football. But Dandron last week, Continues his hot streak. Went four and two. He's eight and three overall. I had a nice week last week. Went four and two. Sits and five overall. I had Indiana and Michigan while no one else did last week. Stearns one and five. Not good for Stearns. Four and seven overall. Yeah. Bob didn't have a good week either. Overall two and four. Went four and seven. Had a good wild card though. North Carolina did beat NC State by more than 17 points. So that was a good pick. But now we got guest pitcher Jared Ramsey. It's like college game day. Let's see how Je- how our guest pitcher does. Oh yeah. Today. Well, we always save the big game for last, so no, we're not saving the. We we get oh, it out of the right. way here on SRZ. We go first, yeah. All right. So, well, 
You, you, gonna, so, so gonna... who do you got in the? I, let me let me set it up. Let me set it up, Jared. All right. Let me set it up. I got it. I got it. <laughs> I got it. I got it. I got it. I guys, I got it. I got it. Okay. Number thirteen, Michigan, lane twenty-four and a half, as the Michigan State Spartans head to Ann Arbor for a noon kick on Fox. Big noon kickoff. Jared, who are you taking? That was a perfect, perfect um, setup. I'm sorry. I'm take Michigan in the points. Uh, I just wow. I it's a rivalry game. I think Tucker's gonna hammer in the fact that it's a rivalry game. They need to send a message, but this team just doesn't have talent. Like they just don't have the guys to compete with Michigan. So I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna look a lot like last year's Michigan Michigan State game, unfortunately, where it's gets ugly early and Michigan State doesn't really have a chance. Um, well, I'm. I I get what you're saying there. I'll give my pick. I think Michigan State's to cover this. And I, yeah. like you said, I think it'll be similar to last year in the fact where it's close in the first half. Michigan State flat out gave up in that second half last year. Mm-hmm. Totally. And it was totally. maybe one of the most discouraging things I've ever seen out of a Mark D'Antonio team. Like he's had some bad losses. That was one of the few times I've ever seen one of his teams give up. They straight up gave up after Michigan went up 21 to 7. Straight up gave up. So I, I, I don't know. And it was a different point of the year. Michigan State season was kind of over at that point. It was basically you have to beat Michigan. I, I, I think there's going to be a little bit more motivation during this game, obviously because of the line. I think Michigan State doesn't turn the ball over seven times. I do think Lombardi will throw a couple interceptions this week. I think it's probably Michigan's up 10, maybe late third quarter, and then scores a touchdown, and Michigan State holds off the cover. If I'm being objective, I think Michigan wins by 17. If I'm being objective. But I hate Michigan. And guess what? I'm not going to go on this show and say that Michigan's going to beat Michigan State. I'm going to pick Michigan State to cover the 24 and a half, and I'm going to pick them to win money line. Because I don't care. I don't care. I might sound like a complete moron. I <laughs> The color's maize and blue, and it's been instilled with me since my dad is – I mean, since I literally was born. I get visibly angry. I get visibly angry, and I can't go on this show and tell you that Michigan's going to win. I'm sorry if I'm not being objective. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. Go green. I hope they cover 24 and a half and I hope they win money line. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that wasn't objective, guys, but I had to get it out there. I love how he announces that he's objective and then he just immediately says he's not objective in the next sentence. I'm objectively not objective. Okay, that's fair. I'm with you, though, Collins, and I am more objective than you. Yes, Um, most people are. I think Michigan wins (laughs) – Michigan's going to win the game fairly easily. There's no doubt in my mind about that. However, I do think that Michigan state covers 24 and a half barely like by a point or two, like Michigan's going to win by like 21 or 23 or some close, some number that's very close to 24 and a half. I do think Michigan, if Michigan state can break even in the turnover battle, then they will cover. If Michigan state loses the turnover battle, they will be not ugly. Cover. Could be ugly. That is the that is the uh, that is the difference in Michigan State covering or not covering. I don't think there's any scenario where Michigan State wins outright. Um, in some maybe fantasy and maybe some fantasy of, world, Collins could dream up yes, scenarios. Yes, when you talk State about a fantasy wins. world, that's my brain. <laughs> that's just been me um, since Saturday night figuring out any way that Michigan State could possibly beat Michigan. There's very few scenarios, but if Michigan has seven turnovers. 
if they have seven turnovers. The call. <laughs> I've been practicing the call from when Michigan State wins at the end of the game. And it, let me tell you, it's a great call. So I hope I get to use it. But Michigan, Michigan, uh, Michigan State will cover 24 and a half barely. Okay. Okay. Let's go three. We're going to go three in a row. Michigan wins, does not cover. That's just too big of a spread for me. This isn't the traditional Michigan-Michigan State Rattler game at the big house for obvious reasons. Cardboard cutouts can't make noise. And you can have audible crowd Does the big house make noise anyway? Have you ever been there? Have yes. Has, is last the big house year, actually it was, loud? It was very loud last year when Michigan was went up like 21-7. I'm not saying I'm, – I'm just poking fun, but my Michigan fans and friends – would tell me the same thing that it's not a loud stadium. Oh it's just, no, I agree. It's just not. That's just not how it is. You pack one hundred ten thousand people in there. They should be able to make more noise than they. Yes, do. it doesn't make any sense. But anyway, anyway, Sorry. back to the. Had back to get a to shot your, in there. Again, a good team would have beat Michigan State by thirty-five. I, you're not going to have seven turnovers again. That's a once in a year, once in a five-year sort of a boring performance. I do think this is a game Michigan wins easily. But I do think Mel's going to have the boys a little bit more ready because this is a rivalry game. Okay, and if you're Antoine Simmons, if you're Harvey, if you're Naquan Jones, some of these other guys, this is your last go-around. And a lot of times when you can approach a game with reckless abandon and when nothing is expected of you, nobody's expecting the Spartans to do everything. All the pressure's off of them. And sometimes for a lot of teams, that's a really good thing. When nobody expects anything of you and you can just go about your business, you don't have the cameras in your face. But one thing I will say, Mel saying that school down the road in that press conference utterly made me want to punch a hole through. It was very corny. It's not even that it's corny. You're going to give the aura of arrogance, and you're going to give this Ohio State-esque aura. The difference being Ohio State always wins. This is a game you do (laughs) not win. You do not talk trash to a team that you are objectively going to get your doors blown off by. It's just not a good PR move. I don't know if it was – I think people – It wasn't talking trash. I think it was – I don't think it was that deep. I think Colton Pouncey tweeted something about that. Everyone kind of freaking out about it. I just think it's kind of corny. Like, we, it, like if you're a Michigan State fan, you call him Michigan. Like, like you're not. It's never going to be a scenario where it's like, oh, that team down the road. Like Michigan fans do with like Ohio State, and they call him Ohio. Like some of them. Like I will never do that. I'm gonna be like, we're playing Michigan this week, and I think the majority of the fan base is kind of behind that. Well, you don't add more fuel to the fire. I don't Michigan think they added anything. Yes, it does. Harbaugh, I can guarantee you, is going to go into that room and say, look what he said. Look what this 0-1 team that lost to Rutgers said. They can't even reference us by our name. That's how little respect they have for you. There's enough motivation in rivalry games. You use whatever You think Michigan has respect can. for Michigan State? Or no, vice versa? They, th- there's no respect in this rivalry. That's why it's Hell so no. hated. Like Ohio State-Michigan, there's some sort of respect there. Like there's hatred. Michigan State and Michigan just straight up hate each other. And that's why it's great. That's why it's a great football game usually every year and a great ba- two basketball games every year. Can we move yeah. on? Yes, we can move on. I'm sorry. I, I The blood gets boiling when I talk about Michigan, Michigan State. I just hate Michigan so much. I hate them so much. I hate them so much. I hate them so much. Okay, let's move on to the SEC. Kentucky plus 16 and a half at home. Number five, Georgia. New kick on SEC Network. We'll start off with Jared. I really like the Kentucky team this year. Um, they're solid on defensive, as they always have been under Stoops. I think I uh, I got Kentucky to cover. I, Terry Wilson 
is one of the most dynamic players in um, football, and he might be one of the few people that can single-handedly put points up on this Georgia defense. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say Georgia wins the game probably by probably by two touchdowns, but I think Kentucky will cover. I like your thinking, Jared. I I I, I think. Kentucky, I mean, Wilson every once in a while, I mean, he's not really that great of a passer, but you're right. He's able to make plays with his feet, and he, he they can do a lot of creative things on offense with him. I just think you – I think Kentucky's had a pretty good defense themselves. And I just don't think you – like, Georgia can put up the points that they're projecting them to put up in Vegas. So I, I like Kentucky, too, to cover the 16-and-a-half, especially at home. You know, I'm not as big of a fan as you guys are of Kentucky. They're two and three on the year. They didn't look great against Missouri. But this isn't a game, I think. I don't take Stetson Bennett anymore after the Alabama debacle to cover a 16-point spread. The only reason I'm doing this is because of the spread. Kentucky always seems like a team, especially with the defense, as you guys mentioned. They're going to lose a lot of just really ugly, gross 17 to 10 20 to 13 games. I cannot see this being a game in which Georgia runs away. They'll win, but it'll be that typical SEC mid-game kind of sleepy sort of SEC game. Kentucky never beats anyone good, though. Like, they really don't. They just beat, like, mid-level teams every year. I think last year was the first time they beat Florida in, like, 30 years. Yeah, but, like, Florida sucked last year. Yeah, That's what I'm saying. Like, they they never really beat an actual good team. Eric Bach, what do you got? I'm going Georgia. Um, they haven't played since the Alabama game. They were off last week. And I don't know. I just – I don't think – I'm with Stearns about Kentucky not being good. I just – they they were <laughs> just close. Like, uh, they're just not good. <laughs> they, they almost they – almost, they hung with Auburn for a while at Auburn, but I don't think Auburn's that great either. No. Um, and so, I just – Georgia's well-rested. They're healthy after their bye week as healthy as they're going to be. And I Kirby smart to me is a top five coach in the country and he's going to have them ready to move on from the Alabama performance. So I think the Georgia dogs are going to cover 16 and a half at Kentucky. This is very random. Would you rather have Uga or Bevo? Uga. 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 Okay. I'm a Bevo guy. Bevo guy. Like very strong, but whatever. I love them both. Well, that yeah, I, dog is ugly. Yep, I love them both. That was a great Lee Corso. God, <laughs> Lee Corso's the man. I don't. I will not accept any slander about Lee Corso. We move on to the next noon game. Noon slate's kind of heavy this week. Majority of the pretty good games are in the noon slate. Number seven, Cincinnati minus seven. Memphis comes to town. Noon kick, ESPN. I don't know if Cincy has fans in the stands. I think maybe. I I, I don't know. I feel like Ohio would let them, but I mean, whatever. Um, give me Memphis. I, I really like, I don't really like Brady white, but this is like a reputation game for Memphis. Like they're going to put up some points and I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I could this, like I said, Stearns, Stearns is giving me the dirtiest look of all time right now. Memphis, you shut your eyes every single year. And Memphis has some guy running for like 1500 yards every year. And I haven't watched a lot of Memphis this year. I think Brady White and whoever's running for those 1,500 yards on Memphis will be able to cover seven points. No, God, no. Not (laughs) after the performance that Cincinnati just obliterated. They've obliterated everybody they played. They looked good against Army week two. 
This is it's a seven point line in Cincy. This isn't some twenty one point draconian spread. They ran for over 300 yards. They ran for 313 yards, to be exact, against that supposedly vaunted SMU defense. This is an easy one for me. Give me Cincy in the points. Jared? I'm going to have to uh, agree with Stearns. I I had uh, I thought SMU was the best group of five team going into last week, and Cincinnati just manhandled them. So I'm going to have to go with Cincy. I think they're going to win pretty easily. And a um, little side bet, I definitely think this game hits the over, so – Hardly okay. that with Cincinnati. There you go. I like your thinking there. We we got to get this show moving. Cincinnati, easy, no-brainer. Next game. There you go. We talked about Bebo a little bit earlier. Okie State, minus three and a half. Texas comes to town. Really weird line, 4 p.m. on Fox. I'll go right ahead. I'm picking Texas because this line made zero sense. Texas has not looked good all year. Their defense sucks. I would assume Oklahoma State would house them. But this lot, it, it seems like they just know something. This is a rat line if I've ever seen one. Give me Texas. I can't remember a team that I felt like shouldn't be undefeated and is, along with Oklahoma State. But Texas is three and two. And for some reason, Oklahoma State always finds a way to win. Three and a half is not a big line. Give me Oklahoma State. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on the Cowboys too. I think Texas are frauds like they have been. I, I, I hate Tom Herman. I hate him so much. So I'm I'm going Oklahoma, I'm going Oklahoma State big. Yeah. I picked Texas to go to the playoff to start the year. So I'm gonna have to die on this hill. I'm with you, Collins. This this line, there's something up with this line. Um doesn't make any sense. Give me the Longhorns. I think I mean Ellinger's still the senior leader of the team, and I think he's got to find a way to to get them a win in a big big 12 game. And I think he will. I think that the Longhorns are gonna win outright. So give me give me Texas. And probably the biggest game on the slate this week, if you're not from the state of Michigan, Penn State number 18, plus 12 in Happy Valley after coming, I mean, obviously a tough loss, and that's Indiana. Number three, Ohio State, 7.30 p.m., ABC. No whiteout. Everyone's been talking about it. You see the videos all over Twitter. It's like, oh, there's it's a beat cherish it when it comes back. I just think Ohio State's better than Penn State. It didn't matter if they had a whiteout. I think they're going to cover the spread regardless. Ohio State is just flat out better than Penn State. And, and, and I don't believe in Sean Clifford's and be able to keep up with Justin Fields. Give me Ohio State and the points. The only thing worse than the Michigan-Michigan State game on Saturday is James is James Franklin's coaching and time management skills in a big game. I know Eric would agree with me on that. This is easy for me. Give me Ohio State. You see what happens. Nebraska hung with OSU for a while up until halftime, but they just keep coming. They're so relentless, and it's just—it's like a sea. It's a monsoon. You can stop the first three or four waves, but by the time the fifth or sixth or seventh one gets around, you're screwed. You can't do it. They're just so hard to keep up with because for four quarters, it's just this never-ending onslaught of offense. So give me Ohio State to cover. Yeah, I'm going to jump on Ohio State, too. I think they came out pretty flat against Nebraska, and they still blew them out, which is a bad sign for the rest of the Big Ten. Um, I, I just don't think Penn State has the dudes on defense to – stop the offense so I'm gonna have to go Ohio State everything that Collins said about whiteout or not Ohio State's just better especially without Journey Brown for Penn State there are other um, running backs out too for the year mm-hmm. yeah so I mean I was gonna pick the Buckeyes no matter what but uh just the difference in Ryan Day in-game coaching versus James Franklin is night and day difference um Franklin's a good re- I mean I said this earlier Franklin's a good recruiter 
He's done well at Penn State, but I think Ohio State is probably the best or second best team in the country after Clemson. And I think the Buckeyes easily cover 12 on the road. Okay. Okay. We're going to cancel the wild card this week because we've been talking forever. And if there's anyone still listening, I want to get them out. Uh, I, they're probably, they've been driving for 20 minutes and they get home and they're like, is this podcast ever going to end? So uh, we're, we're going to wrap it up, but I, I'm going to end on this. Enjoy Saturday. I think it's like one of my favorite days of the year, regardless who wins. It's just so fun, especially if you're from the state of Michigan and you get the chirp with your Michigan and Michigan safe friends, vice versa. It's awesome. So just enjoy Saturday. Don't be an idiot and, and have a good time. But for Ryan Collins, Nathan Stearns, Eric Bach, thank you, Jared Ramsey, for being on the show today. Really appreciated Pleasure. it. We'll see you guys next week.